This is Weekly Woman by Jubilance for PMS. Hi all, it's Alice Cash, your host with Jubilance for PMS, and welcome back to this edition of Weekly Woman. I'm finally back from Cali, back in New York after some time with family, and it's so bizarre to be back on my familiar streets, or really cooped up away from everyone on the streets because I'm quarantining for 14 days before I can go back into my city. I've been trying to find things to do during my time at home, like how many times can I rearrange the furniture before I blow up my back? How many shirts can I tie-dye before my bathroom turns completely tie-dye itself? How can I finally fit that thread into an embroidery needle? These are the big questions, people. But in all honesty, I'm on day eight of quarantine and I'm starting to go a little crazy. Like, how did I do this for six weeks when I was sick? I feel completely fine. I was super safe and or paranoid on the flight over, and I've interacted with no one since I got here, and I'm proud to be able to keep my community safe because of my quarantine. Today on the podcast, we have Suzanne Tatum, a former New Yorker herself and lover of the best part of the city, obviously my neighborhood, the Upper West Side, and I'm so excited to introduce you to this amazing woman. Suzanne's story is far from ordinary. Suzanne Tatum lived in New York City for three years after college and enjoyed working in news operations at CBS News. While in New York, she also learned many tough life lessons. Suzanne had suffered from an underlying eating disorder and addiction since high school, but these struggles were not fully apparent until her early 20s. After enduring health consequences as a result of her disorder and addiction, she moved to Georgia to recover. She's been in recovery for more than 16 years, met her husband while in Georgia, and is now a mother of two children. Suzanne believes God used the pain of her struggle to prepare her to help others. Suzanne now lives in Augusta with her family and enjoys a career working in higher education. She's the Assistant Vice President for Protocol and Special Events, responsible for presidential events that enhance diplomacy and forge partnerships with internal and external stakeholders. We're so excited to have her on today and welcome, Suzanne. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Alice. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much for being on. Um, I just want to start with some like fun, more fun questions. What was your favorite neighborhood in New York City? Definitely the Upper West Side because I loved uh, the close proximity to Central Park. I love Central Park. And then just all of the outdoor cafes on the Upper West Side. Um, that's by far my favorite. Do you have a favorite outdoor cafe? Oh, I can't. I can't think of one right now, just off the top of my head. I, one of my favorite restaurants is Cafe Luxembourg, which is up there, but I don't know if they're doing outdoor seating anymore. Um, but that's one of my favorite restaurants on the Upper West Side. Perfect. Amazing. What's your favorite story from your time in New York? I'd have to say my favorite story actually happened after I left New York. When I came back, I um, had the opportunity to run in the 2013 New York Marathon. And I think just since my time in New York, at that season of my life, it was filled with so much adversity that I really wanted to come back and create a positive memory. And so that really provided the motivation for me to train and run 26.2 miles. Um, But it was really one of the best experiences of my life. My husband and family were all there to support me through the race. And so I think that's my favorite, favorite New York memory. That's so cool. That marathon is amazing. And how the city shut down, shuts down that entire day. And it's just like, Marathon day. 
Oh my gosh, it's really, it, it, it's such a great way to see all the boroughs and the crowd support for the New York Marathon is, is the best. Um, you know, I have a lot of runner friends and, and New York really comes out and support. So it's amazing. Yeah, I, I love cheering people on. Not so much running myself, but <laughs> I <do love> <laughs> um, what's your favorite thing about living in Georgia now? Oh, so many things. Uh, it's hard to boil it down just to one, but I, I really love the people. The food is amazing. Um, we're outdoors folks, so we love having the mountains and the beaches all in one state. And uh, the short winters, the southern traditions, I really think that Georgia um, is home now. Well, that's awesome. Okay, you talked about the food. What's your favorite restaurant in Georgia for all of us who need to go there? Okay, so in Augusta, my husband and I love Abel Brown's Southern Kitchen and Oyster Bar, um, and then also Edgar's Above Broad. It's a new kind of rooftop open air concept downtown. We're excited to have that open. Um, and then one of my all-time favorite Georgia places is Skipper's Fish Camp, and it's in Darien, Georgia. Uh, it's down near the coast. Um, you, you have to look it up to find it, and you might wonder why you're there when you get there, but it's outstanding food. <laughs> Oh, that, that's awesome. And where should we go visit in Georgia if we, if we wanted to go visit? Well, I, coastal Georgia is probably my favorite. Um, Savannah, you know, that area of Savannah is really unique and beautiful. And then St. Simons and Sea Island um, is kind of where I spent my summers as a child. Um, and then we also really love the North Georgia mountains, places like Blue Ridge or Tallulah Falls. They're spectacular if you're really into hiking and outdoor adventures. Oh, that sounds fun. I've just seen pictures of Georgia and it looks so beautiful. I, I really want to go someday. Maybe. It really is. You should come visit. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of COVID, what have you been up to during quarantine? Uh, my husband and I, we both work full time. So balancing work while homeschooling our kids was definitely a challenge. Um, and it made me realize that our teachers are truly underpaid. Um, I've never had that perspective <laughs> until now. Um, but on a positive note, we really enjoyed more time as a family. You know, we had um, just time together. And one of the things my, my daughter had signed up for Run Hard, which is a program that they do through the local schools. Um, and it helps train kids to run their first 5K race. And since the training had to be converted to a virtual format and actual race day was canceled, I had the opportunity to train my daughter and run with her um, for her first 5K distance. And so it was an incredible experience. And my husband and son, they made posters and we went out to a Greenway trail and all of these strangers that were on the trail cheered her on. And it was just an awesome experience um, to be able to do that. That's so amazing. And so nice that you got to do that with your daughter and your whole family, like participating. Yeah, it was a silver lining for sure out of, out of that time in quarantine. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about living in New York City? Um, what were you doing there? Well, I had originally moved to New York uh, to pursue my dream of being a musician. And I was trained uh, pretty much from, I guess, probably about fourth grade on as a classical vocalist. And I sort of switched to popular music when I got to high school. And I did a lot of just vocal competitions. Um, I did get a first place win with the National Young Arts Foundation when I was a junior in high school and I won some scholarship money and was provided um, a lot of opportunities to perform in cities across the country. 
And so I love, I love music. Um, after college, I moved to New York with my best friend from childhood. And this was around, I graduated in 2000. And I did some auditioning and performed with a small garage type rock band. But I found that it was tough balancing my day job with the music scene. Um, and the lifestyle really led to just more unhealthy habits. And so I struggled to find my way. So when I look back, I feel like New York humbled me. Um, as it can do. Um, but I also just have so many fond memories, like living in a railroad apartment with a bunch of girls and experiencing culture and the arts and Central Park and just the freedom and the excitement of being in a big city when I was young. It was, um, you know, it's, it's um, a memory that I cherish and I'm grateful for that opportunity. So And that's so nice that you go back occasionally and go visit. And like you had the marathon and then like go visit the Upper West Side. So it's good you still have um, that time here. Yeah. And I want to teach my kids about New York. I mean, I, you know, we, we love it and I want to teach them um, all about it. So yeah, it's a gift to be able to go back for sure. So we've got to stop and talk about our sponsor, Jubilance for PMS. It's a daily supplement that helps you be you. Jubilance is an over-the-counter nutritional supplement shown in clinical trials to relieve the emotional symptoms of PMS. That means less stress, anxiety, and more of getting back to your life. You deserve to be your best self all month long. And thanks to modern science, PMS is now optional. It's the first and only product for emotional PMS backed by real science with double-blind, placebo-controlled, peer-reviewed studies. And it works. I work for Jubilance because I'm here to help women, and this is the real deal. Jubilance isn't just a product, it's a global mission to make PMS mood swings a thing of the past. The Jubilance Sisterhood is a movement of thousands of strong women escaping the PMS struggle with science, sharing, and communal support. We're here for you each week with stories of amazing women, your weekly playlist on Spotify, and for you to dish and cry about periods on our Facebook group. So why not give Jubilance a try? Go to www.jubilance.com to learn more. And you mentioned that you graduated in 2000 and moved to the city then. So you were in New York during 9-11. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Sure. Uh, That was definitely a turning point in my life. 9-11 was, I think, a tough experience for everyone. Um, I think that most people remember exactly where they were on that September morning, no matter where they lived. Um, But living in New York on that day was like living in a twilight zone. And I had just never experienced the city completely shutting down, uh, probably similar to what you've just experienced in in COVID-19, but it was certainly a twilight zone. Um, I had a distant cousin that worked for Cantor Fitzgerald in a World Trade Center. And you may remember that was uh, one of the companies that lost almost all of their employees. And his name was Adam White. He was 26 years old. And so he was killed instantly in the attack that day, which was really heartbreaking uh, for all of us, especially his family. But I remember um, waiting in our apartment, um, sort of fearful to, for my two roommates to get home from work. Um, the phones had died, so I really couldn't reach my family to tell them I was okay. And back then we had these old school cell phones but those didn't really work well either because so many people were trying to place calls in that same, same place. Um, And then that night, I just remember vividly 
people in business suits with their like briefcases or their backpacks just sort of wandering around the city, not really having anywhere to go because they they shut down all of the they shut down the island, the Manhattan Island, really just nobody could go in and nobody could get out. It was temporary, but I just remember people sort of wandering uh, the streets. And and then there was this, um, there's a distinct burning smell that I'll never forget. And then the missing person signs that were placed all over Gramercy Park and people um, had candles in their apartment windows. And I actually have a piece of art today. It's a photograph of those candles in the windows and I keep it at our house just to, as a reminder, but it was to honor all the lives that, that were lost. And um, at the time I worked uh, at CBS News and so we had the CDC actually come into our offices to swab the air conditioning vents for anthrax. Um, and you may remember, some people remember that anthrax was sent in the mail to all of the network evening news anchors at the time. So we were all sort of enduring this fear of a chemical attack shortly after 9-11, which was really daunting. And I think that there were a lot of building evacuations and bomb scares and fighter jets overhead and just chaos in the city. But at the same time, it was sad. And I think it was the pace was so much slower, which was really that bizarre sort of twilight zone feel like probably what it, it feels like right now in New York or perhaps a few weeks ago, you know. What a harrowing experience. I'm so sorry that you went through that. Um, it's just horrifying. And like, yeah, I think exactly what you're saying, that twilight zone experience, it feels like that. Hey, I mean, not as much now, but like April, I mean, April and May when I could go outside, I was stuck in my apartment all of March, but like, yeah, it, it just doesn't like, even now it doesn't feel like my city that I know and love. Um, right. And I can't even imagine that in September 11th. Like I, I couldn't imagine this, like, this isn't, this is a New York city, which is, it's so weird. Right. And I do think um, it's been great because some of my friends that live in the city have been sending pictures of some of those outdoor cafes with people now. So that's been really encouraging me just to see the city kind of come back. Yeah. Um, and I think the lesson too, just at that time, I kept getting so overwhelmed by the circumstances around me, but I learned you know, that, that to look for the helpers. And I think it's, I think Mr. Rogers, I think Fred Rogers coined the phrase for kids, but it really helped me just to focus on the helpers and, and look at that because New York came back strong and the whole United States did and, and rallied um, at that time. And so that's been a lesson that I've really carried with me um, and helped. It, it's actually helped me uh, teach and cope with my kids during, during COVID-19. I think that's, I think that's a great way to look at things. That's what um, Governor Cuomo has been saying a lot. We're New York strong, like we can do it. We're, we, we like flatten the curve or New York strong, like keep it up New York. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really empowering for all of us as New Yorkers. Cause like when we, when you walk outside, everyone is wearing a mask. Everyone is super respectful of others and keeping distance because everyone in New York knew someone who was sick or like, like experienced right. it themselves. And so I think like now there's so much like New York pride and like everyone wants to help people or like um, find ways to, to like participate. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, it's 
terrible that this all happened, but it's cool that we're coming out of it as like not the gruff, mean New Yorkers that people know and love, but. Uh, right. Well, it certainly changes everybody's perspective, right? I mean, it's like, I just, um, just knowing that I would get so much joy out of seeing some of those Upper West Side cafes reopen and people actually sitting at tables. I mean, it's just these little things that maybe I know I take for granted every day when it's removed. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's daunting. So, yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite restaurants shut down during COVID and I was like, no, like it's just this weird <laughs> bodega on my street and I love it. I just love it. But they just mm. reopened and I was like, oh my God, I have to spend all my money there. <laughs> Um, it was like right. a weird sense of joy of this place I get my coffee, but I love that, right. and I love all the people that work there. That's right. I mean, it's your it's your community, you know. It's um it's so important. So it's it's been a great great reminder for all of us to to look at those things, those little things that really just um really impact our lives for sure. And Suzanne, you had another experience in New York where you just, you decided that you needed to move to Georgia, you um, got out of there. Can you talk a little bit about your experience? Um, sure, sure. So I, um, you know, I had, I've struggled or I've been in recovery for 16 years from an eating disorder and addiction. And so really for as long as I can remember, I have loved some sweets. Um, <laughs> I have loved carbs and I've just always, even as a child, I used food for comfort. And so as I grew older, I had some consequences as a result of that. I gained weight and I, I sort of isolated more. And really what I've learned throughout my recovery is I just, I did not have a relationship with God. And so my food addiction really filled that, filled that void for me. And I think as I received more and more opportunities to perform on stage, I desperately wanted to lose the weight. And so I developed bulimia, I took diet pills, I had various stimulants to try and like, you know, fix my food addiction. Um, but over time my eating disorder progressed. And so when I started, you know, implementing these fixes, you know, I ended up losing a lot of weight and I received compliments about how I looked and it really just fed that disordered thinking. Um, so looking back, I mean, I've learned my eating disorder was really the root of my addiction. But once I learned that I could take stimulants to control my eating and stay up to perform in a band and do extracurricular activities and complete schoolwork and keep up with my social life, like I thought I just found the solution to to all of my problems. Um, and so, and I think, you know, I grew up in an environment where excessive drinking and partying was the norm. And so I felt, personally, I felt a lot of pressure to be thin. Um, and looking back, I didn't really think that I was any different from my peers, you know, and my first year in New York, my best friend from childhood and roommate at the time, she, she gently confronted me and I denied everything, but deep down it was then, it was that sort of, you know, early twenties when she gently confronted me that I started really realizing I, I had a problem. Um, and it took about two more years of struggle and um, unfortunately a grandma seizure as a result of you know, poor nutrition, dehydration, drinking and mixing stimulants with prescribed drugs just to get my attention. Um, but it was a long time after that that I would, before I could openly admit to having a problem, even after all the consequences. But eventually my pain and depression ended up being gifts because 
I became willing to do anything to get better. Can, can you talk about that process of getting better? So you moved to Georgia, like that's, that's crazy. You uprooted your life in New York and you moved somewhere completely different. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I, I did grow up in the South. And so um, I, you know, I, I really, I did not want to move to Georgia at first, if I, if I'm completely honest, um, that was not really a part of my plan. Um, and I think somebody else that you interviewed talked about uh, these sort of detours in life that happened. I mean, this was certainly a detour for me. Um, but after my seizure, my parents and family knew that I needed help. And they practiced some really tough love, which ultimately saved my life. And I was fortunate because I finally began to just embrace God when I lost everything else, you know. And I realized that the only way out of my struggle was to rely on something greater than myself. And so I, I just became sort of obedient. I just moved to Georgia there, you know, I went through some treatment programs and therapy and to overcome the eating disorder and addiction and hindsight is 2020. Uh, and today I can say that moving to Georgia was the best thing that, that ever happened to me. So. That's awesome. And you met your husband there. Now you have two wonderful kids. Can you talk a little bit about meeting your husband in Georgia? Sure. So I met my husband two years into my recovery and we met at a mutual friend's house on the 4th of July. And we started out as friends, but it didn't take us long to realize that we really were soulmates. And um, he and I have some similarities regarding our past. You know, he, he's in recovery as well. And so we've been able to share that. And um, he's really my best friend. And I can't imagine life without him. So that's awesome. And then you went from working at CBS in media to moving into higher education and into protocol. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure. Well, I had several years in media, marketing, and advertising before I transitioned to um, protocol and events. Um, protocol and events are still front-facing, you know, as every event tells a story about your brand or your company, or in my case, our university. Protocol is really just diplomacy in action. So I think of it as a set of guidelines to help facilitate events, meetings, ceremonies in a consistent manner so that everyone involved has a positive experience. And I think in this day and age, we're all operating in a global market. And so on campus and, and you know, at our institution, our students, faculty, staff, our patients, our researchers, they're, all, they're from all over the world. And so in order to strategically enhance the relationships, you know, we, we study the do's and don'ts of other cultures. We ensure that every, anytime we host anyone, that everyone feels welcome and that we're creating an atmosphere that enhances partnership and diplomacy. And so I serve really as a resource and advisor to our president and really to our whole institution um, so that when we're hosting events, we're strategic with respect to you know the details so anything like you know gifts you know atmosphere location attendees seating precedents flags just all the details that can really make or break your event experience or your relationship with with us as an institution that's so interesting i never think about like like studying a different culture to see like what would be acceptable or not as a gift but that's really fascinating um i know my dad like he would work in Japan a lot when we were younger and he brought candles once, which is what you give to someone at 
like a funeral and he didn't know that but everyone accepted like oh thank you but it, it became so important then to like learn about a, like the japanese culture and what was acceptable or not and that's so fascinating that you would do that for a university yes it really is and and it's interesting you know there's um you know certain a lot of people in the united states will give like you know um engraved knives like really nice you know pocket knives or things like that and that in a lot of other countries is sort of a sign to sever a relationship and so there's just so many nuances and little things that that you really don't want to do and then and also focusing even on um the the time that you host a meeting so a lot of times um, sort of, you know, the, the northern European countries are very cognizant of time. If you're a minute late, it's seen as, you know, rude. Um, whereas a lot of the sort of South America, Africa, kind of the, um, the countries that are um, in this kind of south southern hemisphere, uh, they are a little bit more laid back and they, they respect if you're a few minutes late. You know, they, they care more about the relationship than they do about the time of the start of the meeting. And so, in fact, they may be a little later and that's normal. So, so really focusing in on, on all of those details helps um, me advise our president and helps us navigate the relationships and, and kind of the environment we're going into or what we're bringing them into. So it's very interesting. Wow, that, that is so fascinating. And do you have a favorite event that you've planned? Uh, yes, we've done so many awesome events. I love, love my work. Um, but I have to give credit first to just our amazing team. So we, we have an awesome team here. And um, it takes a team to execute our large scale events. But I would say uh, this last year, we were able in October of last year to host um, the President Scaler where we had the opportunity to raise money for our children's hospital, which is a part of our um, institution because we're an academic medical um, institution. And so we highlighted the kids that have overcome cancer or debilitating illnesses. And then we also got to focus on our doctors and nurses, which are just miracle workers and it was just an honor to be a part of that effort and to see tangible examples of how our children's hospital has helped enhance the lives of so many kids that's awesome wow that's that's a wonderful event that sounds great um yeah and i know events are changing now that like your university is opening and like things are going online can you talk a little bit about those shifts to like protocol online Sure. We, we've certainly uh, transitioned to some virtual event formats. We hosted our first virtual commencement, uh, which was um, challenging, but also I was really proud um, of the team and what they did. We spent a lot of time on student calls, just um, speaking with our student leaders, really listening to them to find out what, what would they want, you know, how would they want this to look? Um, because obviously, you know, they're disappointed. I mean, when you work really hard, you know, to get to that day where you get to walk across the stage and, and get your degree. I mean, it's, it's very different to try to do that in a living room with your family members watching it on a screen with it, with it being just a photo of you. Um, but we really listened to our students and tried to um, take their suggestions and make it very special in spite of the circumstances we were in. So we're doing that with all of our events. I think it's an opportunity to be creative, to think outside the box, um, and really to, you know, I think in some ways with all of these webinars and things that are offered, you, 
there is a way to sort of expand your normal audience. Uh, so there's some opportunities there. There's some educational opportunities for our team to, to learn more and get to participate in some of these free resources that are online about event planning. But I will say that we are, we are going to be very cautious and we're probably not going to be able to host any face-to-face -face events uh, for the foreseeable future. So we're just going to focus on getting our kids back safely, our students back safely, um, and then kind of go from there. So very different times for sure. <laughs> Thank you so much, Suzanne. And um, how we connected was really, um, you're a jubilant sister, part of the sisterhood of um, women who take jubilance. Can you talk a little bit about finding it and uh, how it works for you? Sure. Well, um, so based on my history, you know, I am kind of a, a purist these days. Um, I certainly believe in modern medicine and think that there's a place for all, all medicines, but just as a personal choice, I try to steer clear of prescription drugs as much as I can. Um, and so, you know, I've had really intense anxiety and um, symptoms around PMS for the last few years. And so when I met with my doctor, she said, you know, really at this point, your options are to really do like a, you know, low dose uh, antidepressant. And it was just not something I wanted to do. And so I started researching and I found jubilance and I just, I thought that the testimonials were interesting. And I said, well, let me just try this and see. Um, and it, definitely helped and it has you know I think it took me about a month to really really see the difference but once I got through that month I realized okay my symptoms I've, I'm on a little bit of a roller coaster but it's not the giant <laughs> scary roller coaster and waves uh, that it was and it's so my life is manageable today when I have PMS um, and it's really really helped me and I, I just am encouraged because it's I'm not having to to take the the antidepressant that that I thought I was going to have to take, um, so it's been a it's been a blessing. It's been a gift for me. Oh, I'm so glad that it can help. Uh, I I know like stress levels are through the roof right now, so it, it's been really helpful, especially during COVID, uh, with things. Oh like, yeah, everything that's happening. Yeah, everything's so amplified right now, and and you know, anything that we can do to manage our stress. I mean, because it is, it is intense right now, for sure. Thank you. Um, and something that we always leave with is if you had any piece of advice to any woman, like about anything, uh, what would you say to them? Well, I would say to surround yourself with women who have what you want. So, if you want a healthy marriage, then gravitate towards women that will remind you how amazing your husband is, even on the tough days. Um, if you want to be a leader in your career, invite current leaders that you admire to lunch or coffee. Ask them if they might meet with you or schedule a phone call uh, that's consistent. Um, I just think it's really important to find women that you trust, have your best interest at heart, sort of your tribe. Um, I also recommend that you forge relationships with women that are older than you and relationships with women that are younger than you because I found that I learned something from every, every relationship that I have. Um, and I just think that, that we as women uh, need to stick together. I try to encourage and mentor women here um, in the university setting and I also am mentored. And um, 
you know, it's just, it's been very encouraging for me. Um, I learned so much from them. And so that's just something that I think is important for all of us as women to remember, we do need to stick together and support each other. Um, and then there's a Rick Warren. He is, um, he has a ministry and he um, is a pastor, but, but one of his quotes, I always love, it says, while it is wise to learn from experience, it is wiser to learn from the experience of others. And so I think that that's really important and sound advice. Thank you so much, Suzanne. That's a great piece of advice. I think that's wonderful. Kind of creating your like board of directors of these women, of women you can call on yeah. for, for information or just to learn from. That's awesome. Something I need. Like your to tribe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the board of directors too, but I, but you've got to have the tribe, tribe you know, you've got to have your, your women, you know, it's really important for me. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add, Suzanne? Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you because when you first reached out to me, I listened to your podcast and started learning a little bit more about it. And you have interviewed just some amazing women influencers. And um, just, I, I, well, sorry, say again. Including you now. Oh my goodness. Thank you. I, I just thought to myself, what do I have to offer to Alice's podcast? But the truth is that comparing ourselves to others is a quick path to self-defeat. And so I encourage all women to embrace their truth because I just think you never really know who you might be encouraging. And I want you to, I'm going to encourage you to keep up the good work with your podcast and um, just sharing women's stories. I think it's really um, important. And I know that I've gained a lot just from, from listening. So thank you for your work. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Thank you so much for being on and being a part of this. It was great to hear your story and to like get to talk to you a little bit back and forth the past couple of weeks as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm.